Welcome to Dentology, the Business of Dentistry podcast. In this podcast, we delve into the non-clinical aspects of dentistry with inspirational guests from across the profession. You will hear incredible life stories, pick up valuable business tips and be entertained. I'm Andy Acton and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Drevens. So, very, very enjoyable chat with Lovin. He's a real charming gentleman, isn't Fascinating. he? Fascinating. Fascinating. And I mean, uh, another huge ranging gambit of conversation. <laughs> That's what all these podcasts are like. It's fascinating. You sort of think yeah, it might be down, down this path. And I think what we've learned now is a lot of guests, you just sort of start talking and then woof. <laughs> oh, the, I mean, the start of, of I mean, people will be, be blown away by his, it, it, well, it wasn't even the start of his life. It was when he was still yeah. waiting to be born and, and the hardship the family went through. But also just looking at the, the creative side of his life and yeah. how that's influenced his, his professional career in dentistry. But and how he's been able to do both. You yeah. know, that, I think that's the other thing is that a lot of people, you know, they can still follow their passions. It's just sometimes their their passions have to be different than what they do. Mm. You know, you, you might want to be, a, I don't know, a classical guitarist or whatever it is, but the chances of you ever making a career out of it are, slim. are slim. So, yeah. so make a career of something else that you're good at and enjoy yeah. and then do that other bit. But I think also that, that trip to Sri Lanka and how that sparked the idea of yeah. the chair side. I yeah. think I'm always fascinated as to what was it that, that got something going. What I think people take a huge amount from that. No, what was the nugget? Yeah, it's brilliant. Really good again. So here we are again, again, another rich episode coming our way. Indeed, looking forward to this one too. Absolutely. So today we are delighted, uh, very privileged. We've got Lovin Gunners-Wareham joining us. Uh, Lovin is a dentist, uh, also a co-principal of a practice. He's the founder of Chairside and also a rapper, the wicker, spoken wicker. word. Look at that, that is, is impressive. Very <laughs> interesting. We've got a lot to get through today, Lovin. How are you doing? Welcome. wide-ranging uh, set of skills. Uh, it's it's a real pleasure to be uh, on on the podcast today, guys. It's I've been looking forward to this. Um, been listening to you guys for for a while, and um, it's like it's, it's a really interesting pinch me moment actually because I've I've I was ne- I never imagined myself coming onto a podcast like this. So it's so 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 exciting to be here. So I'm, oh, no, I'm, we, we, I'm we're grateful. grateful for your time. We yeah, know thank you, yeah. just by virtue of the introduction, you're not short of things to keep you busy. So we're grateful for you finding <laughs> the, the time for us. Before we get to your, your wide and varied dental career, let's kind of wind it back. What what things do we need to know about you from your childhood that kind of explain the, the guy you are today? What was your what was your, your childhood like? Um interesting. Interesting. Um I was I was born in Sri Lanka. Uh, my parents are Sri Lankan. Um, in in a difficult time in Sri Lanka, actually, there was um, it was a, sort of like the peak of the civil war there, um, yeah. which I believe led um, my my parents largely to to reconsider their their future there, uh, along with a lot of their family, along along with um, a lot of relatives, along along with the community in the northeast part of Sri Lanka. Mm-hmm. So I was going to say, was there quite a strong Sri Lankan community? Yeah, I was going to say, was it a big over? sort of family yeah. move as such? There was. Interestingly, my father and mother moved because dad actually got um, he got a placement at Stirling University to pursue um, aquaculture because there was a huge prawn farming industry in Sri Lanka, and he was really interested in that. And so he ended up doing a PhD at Stirling Uni. And so I grew up on, at Stirling University uh, on campus 
raving with the freshers um <laughs> from the age of one to five um <laughs> the original fresh up the original yeah somehow the fresh prince of sterling doesn't quite ring the no. same true does it as Belair? yeah, yeah. no um so uh the fresh the fresh prince of sterling i like that um uh so we were we i probably didn't i wasn't exposed to the community then but when we moved to london after that there was a there was a, a very large tamil mm. community um of of individuals who'd been through some traumatic things right their parents largely i was really lucky i didn't see any of that i mm. was i was exposed to it um through stories but i'm very fortunate i you know i i i, I was too young to to understand it at the time mm. so um I grew up surrounded by extremely grateful people for being able to m make it out of a difficult situation. Oh, I grew I up in an environment where, you know, not many people came to this country with, with, with much in their, in their pockets. Mm. And so mm. they had to create and build. And so the people around me were incredibly inspiring because now 20, 30 years on, well, actually more than that, 35 years on, um, you see... Uh, or I, I grew up around people growing businesses because they didn't have opportunities, they didn't have education, so they had to to build a life for them and their families. A lot of these people had come, a lot of these people had come with young families, right? So you get mm -hmm. they get thrown into the deep end. So there was this entrepreneurial spirit that mm -hmm. existed within our community, and not only that, but our community is very much uh, quite creative uh, as a group. Like we. We have a massive cinema scene called Hollywood, uh, and amongst that, we've got spin-off dancers, spin-off singers. Um, you know, it's 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 almost like um, we 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 even have this thing called an arrangatrum, where if you learn an instrument up to a very high, uh, the highest degree, you get mm -hmm. celebrated by um, throwing putting on a show, and the whole community would come and watch. Right. And this was in line with a big, strong focus on education. So right. my, my path to dentistry largely led by the, 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 the virtue that, and, and you may understand that from the British dental community as well, was that there was a strong focus on education. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Because I would probably say a lot of our parents didn't have the opportunity mm. to, mm -hmm. to study. And, what did your um, dad do, Lovin? Sorry? When he came down to London, what job did mm. your dad do? So he, 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 despite having his, his sort of like uh, PhD in aquaculture, there was nothing to do with aquaculture in London. So he ended up um, picking up jobs here and there um, to start with, because he, you know, obviously when you come here with nothing and you, mm -hmm. you're here in a, 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 I would probably say a, a refugee, st well, refugee status, a lot, of, a lot of us anyway. He, he, he worked from the bottom up, so he was like, like petrol stations, um, you know, uh, working night shifts. Mum would, um, so when my little brother was born, when I was five. All the way through her pregnancy, um, she was working at Tesco, you know, wow. uh, like really trying to trying to trying to set up a life. Um, what I love, what I love, loving about it is that everybody assumes that life's linear and life just goes on a on an upward mm -hmm. trajectory and it always just keeps moving the same direction. Mm -hmm. And I find it it remarkable that you have somebody who's got a PhD in aquaculture like say, it's a bloke who from comes, PhD. To, comes it's nuts, to London it, really? and is prepared to rebase himself and do whatever he needs to to rebuild. And that's all for the greater good of his future family. 
you know, mm-hmm. the, the future of his family is the most important thing. So there's no, you know, there's, there's nothing on him that says, but I have a PhD in agriculture and I need to, to use that. I, I don't care. I, I'm prepared to reset my life to make sure that yeah. my family have a better future. But also that from the remarkable. flip side, isn't it, that there was no one who said, hey, you've got a PhD in agriculture, so yeah. we'll be able to, you know, we can use that knowledge. Yeah. And not necessarily of agriculture, but mm. the fact you've actually got a PhD. Mm. But going back to the thing you said about culture and resilience, you know, what, what great lessons for you to learn as mm. a young man mm. from your parents, which kind of g- gives us a, a great insight as, uh-huh. as to why you've gone on and have the success you've had in your career. What's because that phrase those Character building, Yeah, isn't those it? things so, were instilled in you very young. Well, I, I don't think I appreciated that then, mm-hmm. but I, I, it definitely became a mindset that yeah. was ingrained. I owe my parents everything in, in the, with the view that they went through a lot and they came out uh, trying to build a better life for us through difficult times, mm. but um, in, along that journey also taking risks that we could learn from mm. and realizing that, you know, no, uh, one thing I really loved about the aquaculture and the PhD thing to going to, to, to start off when you had a couple of hundred in your pocket and you land in London mm. to picking up any job is the fact that you remove ego from the entire thing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Right. And when you move, remove ego, you almost become free. I feel. Mm. And, you know, that's something I've been trying, like, trying to work on over many, many years is, is almost be very real, grounded and, and free from ego. Because yeah. when you start building organizations, you realize that to inspire and to try and lead people, uh, a group of people as a team towards a mm. common goal or a common mission, ego can really get in the way. Can't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. But modern modern society doesn't help, does it? No. Modern society feeds a hierarchy. It, I, I was going to say, uh, Andy, society this, it celebrates ego. That's yeah, part this is my challenge. This mm. is my challenge. Um, as much as behind the scenes, I'm fighting or working on myself to try and eliminate that and realize that we came with nothing and I leave with nothing and like fundamentally mm. we're on a journey. It doesn't matter if you're a dentist or it doesn't matter if you work here or there or whatever. We're mm. all humans and that's just a journey. Or we're a product of our experiences. We're a product of our environment. We're just products of what we've been exposed to. I know incredibly yeah. intelligent people, incredibly intelligent people mm. who've just never been exposed to the entrepreneurial journey. They yeah. just, mm-hmm. They've just never been exposed to it, right? Mm. But I know they could, they could smash it in anything mm. they do. They just, yeah. mm. they just don't know. And mm. um, you can't know everything either. But what you've been exposed to allows you to do that. And what my biggest issue is with, with, with things like social media is such that as much as I try and battle the ego situation, I find that especially doing things in the creative space and trying to grow your following or trying to do all this, it's, it's a very egocentric thing, right? Mm. And positioning yourself is very much an egocentric thing. Unless you're in a position where you're able to showcase your true face and true feelings uh, and, 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 and not care about numbers and all of that and show vulnerability. And that's just you being real. But then you mm. also get, unfortunately, valued or viewed based on your metrics when you're in that space. <laughs> so... I, I've always said, like, I'm not, in, I'm not in it to chase the numbers or the followers or thingy. But at the same time, I could be out and people be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they'll see, you know, you see your profile and be like, oh, you'd make music or whatever. Right. And you're like, mm. yeah. oh, but you, you haven't got like hundreds of thousands of followers. So you're probably not that great. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, you know, like 
I don't I just, need that validation. That's, that's not the numbers. game I'm trying to play here, if you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you don't need the validation of all those numbers. It's just like I think I think you've got to be comfortable in yourself. But also, I think the whole destructive thing with numbers generally, whether it's money, followers, likes, you know, listens, whatever it is, is Mm. the bigger the number, there's an assumption that you're doing better. You know, if somebody has more money than somebody else, we assume that they they're doing really well because they've got more money. But that's Mm. such a simple and in some ways you know useless way of measuring success, success yeah, but because numbers go up and we know how to look at numbers it's an easy way and a lazy way to do it mm. but what is success what is oh, what is yeah, yeah. what is the definition of success yeah that's that's something that i have been thinking about for so long mm. and it varies from person to person oh, doesn't yeah. it? i mean we, we do a course where we sort of say part of it is we say what is your definition of success you know and it might be you want loads of money you might be you want loads of car you might want to play more golf you might want to read books you might want to drink yourself stupid you might want to spend more time with your kids you know it's it's different for people mm. and they have to they have but they have to find it themselves mm. rather than get mm. it defined by someone else and also the other one is what's the measurement scale for happiness yeah yeah and like you say it it all kind of ties together Um, and then like you said you then got this this external world watching everything that you Mm. do as well Um, Mm. so you're trying to be as authentic as possible but you're also aware that you know in particular with social media platforms they are a marketing tool yeah it's, 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 a it's, 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 it's a way of being seen so yeah. you have to kind of play that so it's not I think my 130 followers probably um, <laughs> follow my marketing but aspect. the thing is if they're 130 of the right people <laughs> yes that's, that's it's worth, all that's, about number yes yeah, all about say, quality I'm pretty it? sure yeah when we started doing this you know uh, we, we said before we started recording we, we're very grateful to, to Payman uh, who, who has his own podcast and he said that stuck with us he said um, when I record I'm just looking to have a really good conversation with that person Mm. if somebody else listens to it after it's released and they take value from it then that's great but the value should be the moment we're having now we're Mm. chatting for some time we're finding out stuff it's really interesting if a byproduct of that is other people also actually find it it interesting then then that's great and if and if only 10 people listen to it but they all took something really valuable from it that's more important than it potentially being blitzed out to thousands Mm. exactly and there's so much value in that but we're so we're surrounded by um we get mistaken sometimes between quality because of because of the 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 vanity metrics around it Mm. right the the vanity metrics doesn't necessarily mean some things are high quality and that's been that that, that, that's been marketing throughout the test of time that's been over history right sometimes the great the best products aren't the aren't the ones that uh are most popular um that's just great marketing um but that itself is a science and an art and a skill so yeah, definitely, absolutely. absolutely. And your and your um, comment there about science, art, and skill is a nice segue into dentistry because yeah. you told us that you you went into dentistry with the, with the love of science and the craft. But the thing mm-hmm. that you really fell in love with was that direct, directly teaching and, and and working on an individual patient and educating and treating that patient. Mm-hmm. What was it about that that kind of minutiae of it that really drew you in? Because it is a very artistic world, but what was it about treating that that one patient? I think when you start, first of all, I had a clear vision early doors in my life of what I wanted from uh, what perp- what what my life what made me happy and what kind of purpose I'd like to pursue. I think I had a very clear. I think I was quite lucky early doors through the experiences that. 
I knew that anything was somewhat possible. When did you um, want to become a dentist? Did that sort of, was that following on? How's that sort of bit? Yeah. So the the reason why that, why, why dentistry came out was because I also feel like if you're in the pursuit of, of, of something meaningful, you have to impact one person at a time to start, right? And what better feeling than to be what I call in the trenches, helping people firsthand with the, the ability where, where you only a few of us have a skill set that's able to solve that problem for them, mm-hmm. right? I think that's pretty incredible. So learning how to develop that skill and then combining that skill with empathy towards people, with communication, with compassion, and then continuously evolving that skill through evidence-based learning and then delivering that day in, day out to people who need your help is a privilege. It really is a privilege. Mm, but it, and you don't get much more satisfaction than that, really. Like, you know, it could be any walk of life, any person from any walk of life, someone who, who, who is possibly coming from a difficult background, right? Or somebody who is an el- someone who's elderly and is lonely, right? And you have real meaningful conversations with people I would never have the opportunity to speak with mm. on the street. I, if you think about it, the number of conversations I've had, um, seeing 20 patients, that 25 patients a day for the past 12 years, right, five days a week up until maybe the last four years, has been, has opened my mind to, to mm-hmm. the world more than anything else I could have ever did, done. And, and mm-hmm. I'm not talking about fleeting conversations. I'm talking about speaking with, with, with um, parents, um, grandparents who become, well, parents who become grandparents and then three years later, sadly, realizing one of them develops dementia. Then two years after that, realizing that they get put into a care home. And now I'm speaking about speaking to the wife. Um, I've been fortunate that I've been at the practice for 12 years since my foundational training. So I've followed people on their journey. Mm. Um, did you do your training at the practice? Yeah. Right. Okay. Interesting. Um, so I did my training there 12 years ago and I stayed on as an associate. Then I became a partner. Mm. And um and and I've followed my my patient base through their their journey through their yeah, life. Interesting, their that, that sort of I've never really thought about it like, in a way. You're you're mixing and you're conversing with people of varying you know ages, social skills, social sets, communicate. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. I hadn't really sort of thought about it in a way that that we know you talk to patients, but but hearing you saying you know you're you could be talking to someone who's I don't know at one end of the scale. And then you've got another guy who's might be a multimillionaire or something. Yeah. You're, you've got yeah. this whole range of people that your skill set has got to, your communication skills yeah. have got to be able to encompass that. And that also is fascinating that there's probably a lot of dentists <laughs> who might not have that communication skill to be able to cope with that huge range. It's, it's, yeah. it's quite an interesting one. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Yeah. Just, just, just rolling back just a little bit, Lovin. When you were at dental school, um learning the craft when did it hit you that you might be a dentalpreneur when did it hit you that you might end up in in business was was that quite early on or did it something that evolved over time no not really i always knew that i wanted to be involved in a startup uh in the startup space because that excited me like i had this natural excitement about it and i found myself naturally reading watching learning in my own time as a hobby anything to do with the startup world 
um, Dragon's Den. Since, yeah, <laughs> since 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 I was young, like, and I think that that also stems from um, always feeling like you know things can be done a bit better. Mm. You know, how can we make things a little bit better for the end person, for the end impact? In this case, patients. Um, you know, I, I, I find that there are so many broken systems and processes. There are so many things that can be fixed. You can't fix everything, but there are some things that yeah. can have a bigger impact than others. And how can I contribute to that from a, a slice of creativity with a bit of mm. strong values and, and direction and culture, and then try mm. and try and build work with, with great people to, to solve that. And I found that by, um, by, by practicing dentistry, I, I saw that there were so many inefficiencies in that system mm. that in the existing system 12 years ago, that largely patients could could easily solve so many problems for patients. Mm. But but I felt like it wasn't because we just fall into this system and we accept the status quo and we, we carry on, mm. right? We carry on, we carry on. Now more than ever, people are disrupting the status quo because they realize that it's not, this isn't quite good enough for for what I would expect from my from for my patient, right? And mm. how do we improve? How do we continuously improve? And I see so many people now, like their dental practices are so beautiful. You know, the levels, the standards, the technology. Mm. It's like they don't have to invest in this stuff. You can run a good dental practice on a on a, on quite a basic level, right? If you mm. wanted to, yeah. if you cared about the numbers, and that's all that mattered. But if you look at look at the dentists right now and what they're doing to their practices, what the, what technology they're they're mm. embedding, what they're investing in from their own back pocket, right? Oh, their own potential income, the how they're reinvesting, mm. like that to yeah. me just proves that people care. The, like these guys, it's not just a it's not just a business; it's a passion yeah. for a lot of these people. And the reinvestment levels are incredible. Like you know, you don't need to spend forty grand on iTero. You don't need to. Mm right but they are and not just one mm. two three right and yeah. um i love it i love seeing it and we are in that environment now where actually people want to do the best for their patients mm. and also really be proud of the work they do and enjoy mm. it um and, and i think i felt that 12 years ago and this was my take on how to improve that journey and would you say Lovin, that you've seen a change from uh post-covid because that's where we sort of see that that almost dentistry has suddenly become it's almost like people have ignored it for the last hundred years and then suddenly <laughs> patients are going oh here's dentistry actually yeah. that's that's pretty cool dentistry i don't yeah. mind you know it, it's it's amazing that transformation you know you you mentioned yeah. the artero you know we there's that was it dental monitoring or all those oh, yeah. all mm-hmm. those systems that people are embracing to give their customer their patient experience mm. uh, a better experience uh, so do you do, have you sort of seen as a at the face you know post covid a difference a hundred percent a hundred percent i think two in two ways i think everybody had a chance to reflect dentists had a chance mm. to reflect to, to understand what type of dentistry and how they want to perform in the future um to find meaningful purpose in their work and i feel patients also um had a chance to reflect and possibly reconsider their health as mm. a, as at the forefront of actually what's important you always you know you always step back and sometimes when you're not in the thick of it day to day nine to five or, or mm. whatever the hours are you, and you have chance t- time to reflect i always feel this when i go on holiday and on the flight back i'm always like oh you know what 
I want to relook at my morning routine, you know. I want to tweak it a little bit, you know. And like all of those books like Atomic Habits start creeping yeah. back in and all of these things that, you know, you want to um, refine. And I think COVID, you know, for so many months is not just like a little holiday and the, the flight back. Yeah. I think it had gave everyone a chance to relook and reposition. Re, re I think a lot of that investment as well from dentists is also the connection between patients wanting more and dentists wanting to do the best. And I think there's a, an amazing synergy between the two. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Be before we get to, to chair side, you, you worked as an associate in the practice you're at for mm. 10 years. So you actually mm -hmm. joined straight from dental school, did your foundation year, then an associate for 10 years. Uh, talk us through, so you're now a partner in the practice. Talk mm -hmm. us through that, that because quite often for lots of people, um, they, they move on to another practice to buy. You know, mm. it's, it's, it's reasonably unusual for somebody to spend the amount of time you did as an associate and then buy in. H how did that transition go for you and, and within the practice? And who mentioned it? I, uh, <laughs> yeah. Did you ask? I, did, did you, you ask? What did he say? <laughs> or she say? How, how did the transition go? It was, uh, <laughs> I, I, I guess there was there were multiple factors like anything in life mm, um yeah. i think i started at that practice when the prince one of the the senior partner who founded the practice uh 30 years ago was hitting sort of 62 wow. um uh but i had a really great relationship with him and i still i have so much respect for that guy phil wilshire um he taught me so much. He taught me all these things about loving, you know, what life's about experiences, not about this, not about. And, and there were so many life lessons. He'd, he'd been through the journey where he'd owned nursing homes and, and, and he went, he had, the, he rode the highs and then he hit, you know, hit the lows hard as well mm. during that journey. And I learned so, it was like so much wisdom from, from, from him. Um, and I, I almost felt like he was like a mentor in many ways as a as a human being mm. um for his ability to to really distill down what business means in life if that makes sense uh yeah. that, that 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 you know when you're young and you're energetic and you want to do a million things um you know what really matters when you're 62 when it's all mm. that when you're coming to the close of it was it really worth it you know are you going to look back and say, oh, I wish I did this, wish I did that? So he kind mm. of helped me stay very grounded and, and he gave me that opportunity. Um, yeah. um, and then I think going off on that, like I was very fortunate, like my father, he, he uh, as, as, going back to that story as well, he went on to then um, have a, have a pr quite, quite, quite a successful career at Johnson & Johnson. He became the director of um, training uh, for EMEA uh, for sort of Johnson Johnson Eye Care. And what he did was he, he developed a really interesting um, uh, coaching, uh, business development coaching platform where he was, he was providing consultancy on that level. So he started coaching me at that oh. point on business development. Right? right so hey loving you're a dentist you know nothing about biz dev let me coach you <laughs> on how to like on management structures right and i thought oh amazing okay great this in tune with phil retiring saying to me he said to me five years before he retired said loving i'm on my way out soon um, from dentistry what do you think are you up for it and then that's how so i spent five years being trained uh again I think life is like circumstance and opportunity and whether you're, whether you're, it's up to you to, to grasp hold of those opportunities. But 
I I tried to be a sponge and sit and listen to my dad, who was able mm-hmm. to give me that advice in the transition period between open like Phil retiring. But that advice was also really helpful for spinning off into the entrepreneurial world with with the yeah. startup as well. So but was I think there credit it, to you, Love, and you said you said yes to it. A lot of people would have heard the opportunity yeah. and for different reasons would have it. would have passed on it. Yeah, passed yeah. on it, ignored it, whatever. So and the fact you had that kind of almost that real world MBA working along in the background preparing you for getting into business ownership was good. yeah mm. I, I was very lucky i was yeah. very lucky to a be there right time right place with somebody who i had a great relationship with with someone who felt like i could continue his legacy mm. as well um but giving me five years as a transition point to save up the money to mm. buy a practice um uh which was and also support that journey which he did Interesting, then, actually. Mm. I mean, when you think about it, we, we hear quite a lot of stories of mm-hmm. whereby the sort of the principal has said the same thing. And then basically when they've come to the time they want to go, they just haven't followed through. So mm. you end up with uh, guys who sort of said, yeah, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Oh, actually, I can get a better value <laughs> mm. on the open market. And it's uh, it's lovely to hear that there was that followed, that trust from through. him and trust from you. Exactly. That sources actually, yeah, I'm going to follow through with that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was a guy who had no clue. Why would he give it to me? I was like a dentist, like post-FD, three, two years in. I, I, with that, with ambitious ideas, um, but he trusted me, um, and he gave me the time to be to to, to nurture my skills and not mm. just jump in in the deep end. And when the time was right for him, he transitioned out, and he still supported me after that as well throughout the whole process, um, and he still does to this day. So I'm I, having great mentors is is so essential to wanting to do anything that's beyond let's let, let's face it we don't get trained on how to run a dental practice right no. we get we, we just about get trained on how to do a root canal at uni right yeah. and um it's a different skill set it's a different mindset um and on my journey what i'm seeing more and more uh, and i love this is i'm seeing more and more female dental practice owners um yeah. during this journey yeah. too because maybe as a male you know, I, I naturally, um, in during that time, I was sort of like seeing my male uh, mentors running businesses, right? Mm. And so naturally, I, I, I've, I've been veering towards them for advice and stuff like that. But to actually, as a female, break the mold, uh, considering 70% of dentistry is like female. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I'm seeing like through chair side, I'm seeing, I'm talking to female practice owners. I love it. It's incredible. It's like why not? Like the level, the pl- the playing field needs to be leveled, and mm-hmm. it's 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 great to see whether you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you want to own a practice, own, own a practice. But females, um, you know, there, there's such a large population, and representation of practice owners is not quite is is not quite mm-hmm. balanced. And I think yeah, that I changes. Think that's the yeah. thing. I think it's about representation, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. when you look at the the number of dentists we have in the country and the split between sexes, that's mm-hmm. not represented in practice ownership. Um, yeah. And hopefully, you know, as, as years roll on, that that will change. That will yeah. change. Well, only so, if they want to. That's the oh, other thing. It doesn't make you more successful because you're a practice owner, no. right? It no. just means that, that you, that's what you want to do and that's the path you follow. Um, but, but I also think for the good of the profession, I think getting inputs from different types of people in different situations yeah, and different sexes means you get a, a much rounded. better inflow of information which yeah, means that's, that's got to be yeah. good for the profession good for patients good for innovation Everything, as well yeah, definitely yeah, 
Yeah, you, you you guys know that like when building a team, diversity only breeds better ideas, new perspective, new worldviews, right? Um, yeah, yeah, more diverse definitely. we are as a as as an industry, as a community, as as whatever it is we perceive, we share different viewpoints, and then we can innovate in in new ways um, with new ideas and and make the profession stronger and better. Mm, so I'm, I'm 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 excited to see that come through and 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 um, you know it's 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 quite nice. Yeah, mm. you you just loosely made reference to Chairside, which was the the business you founded back in two thousand and seventeen, the mm-hmm. patient communication platform. Chris mm-hmm. and I have started a number of different businesses over the years on our on our sort of um, road to where we are <laughs> now, and it's not easy. It's it's flipping hard work. Starting <laughs> a business from scratch it's is, great it, when it's not working. easy. It is, <laughs> and the road can be bumpy, but it is hugely fulfilling. What was the what was the spark that started what is today very well known as, as Chairside? And, and what were the, the bumps in the road that, that nearly kind of derailed you? Mm. Really interesting question um, about the story and, the, and, and, and what you guys have said about it being incredibly enjoyable but incredibly hard. Mm. There is a beautiful naivety that comes when you start a business at the begin- early doors. Where you're all excited yeah. and you're happy to take on any challenge, and I still yeah. would. Um, but every day is a challenge, um, and it has its roadblocks. So this started because um, Kiri and I, uh, Kiri is my best mate. Um, we went to we, we met when we were sort of seventeen, eighteen, uh, towards the tail end of university, to, to tail, end, tail end of school, and then we sort of lived together at uni as well. Um, we, on uh, my foundation year, I went to Sri Lanka with Kiri. We revisited because the war ended in 2009. So now this is 2010. Um, and we contacted some dental companies and we packed our suitcase with uh, filling material and other dental material. And we basically went to some orphanages in the northeast of Sri Lanka and we did some dental work there. Now, yeah. here's a big hoo-ha of like, oh, yeah, we're going to do some charity work and, yeah, feel good, feel great, you know, look mm-hmm. at how, how, how lovely we are as people. But the intent <laughs> was there to do that. But actually, we probably came away with absolute um, gratitude and appreciation for our positions in life. And we probably mm-hmm. took more from there than we actually gave, to, took more from them than we actually gave to them if I'll be mm-hmm. honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's only so much someone can do once a year going and doing dental treatment to, to, to kids uh, yeah. who were orphans. And these orphan kids were kids who had, like literally one of them had shrapnel still buried in, in their skin and had no parents, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. One of them didn't have an arm and a leg on one side of their body because when the bombs hit, only half of their body get, fell into the bunker that the other half was exposed, right? Crazy stuff. And these are like 11, 12-year-olds, right? Mm. So we're doing dental treatment, um, but we've never seen these kids so happy. You know, they didn't have much. Uh, they never known how to brush their teeth, let alone, I mean, own a toothbrush at that point, let alone yeah. actually um, have some of the niceties. So, th- but there's one thing we did do that stuck. We taught them a song 
with visuals on how to brush their teeth in the native language with a mix of English as well. My Tamil is terrible, by the way. Like, (laughs) that's like, I get from my, from my grandma's all the way through down the, the, my whole family just say to me, love, and you need to learn how to speak Tamil. I'm like, I don't know. know. (laughs) Let me refine my English first. But um, uh, yeah. So um, we tried to teach these, these kids this song. All right. Two years later, revisiting those orphanages, not only did the kids, who 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 were there from two years ago not only could they recite this song like full motion like um there the new kids who'd come had learned the song mm, and the song was about the song was about brushing your teeth it was literally twice a day for two minutes at the top at the bottom round and round in circles in the native language yeah um uh and and there was something that i was like Whoa. speaking with kira's like Wow. Like Kiri was so humble. He came in, he's not a dentist and he was literally being, he was our nurse, like with his, with his, um, his, he, he had a, he had his gloves on and he had a lamp and we were, we had these little beds and we were treating these kids on beds in, in an orphanage. And he used a torch to, to help me see. Um, and he didn't really understand dentistry at the time. But then when we came back, he was like, wow, like we were talking, he was like, we could go and do fillings every year or two. Great there's dentists there that can do that but what actually resonates here is that every every one of these orphanages are singing this song on how mm. to brush their teeth and now these mm. kids are taking away how to brush their teeth on, on a daily basis on a month uh, and, and and they're doing this twice a day and give them some <laughs> toothbrushes and like let's talk about prevention here right that's one of the fundamentals that you could start with is yeah. teaching them how to brush their teeth and i know it's so simple but it was the visuals and the all and the, and the and the singing that actually stuck out of everything we did Mm. So coming back, did some research and found out that, um, you know what, uh, 170 kids a day are being put to sleep under general anesthetic in the UK to have their teeth removed because of tooth decay from mm. something that is a largely preventable disease. Mm. 94% of the population suffer from gum, some form of the spectrum of gum disease with 48 percent chronic gum disease um and that 48 percent stem that chronic gum disease can stem into what cardiovascular disease and alzheimer's the links are there right mm. there's a huge education piece here on preventable disease and that resonated with me but being a foundation dentist trainer for six years i also trained foundation dentists for six years yeah. out of the, the the last 12 Every year I saw them come in, they're all scared. They're also scared of doing treatment. 90% of them, are, um, according to Raj Rattan, scared of being sued, right? Mm. Um, that's not fair on them. That's really not fair on them because they come in with an open heart, with the right intent, but already in a fearful place to do what, yeah. what is already a daunting prospect of treating teeth when you come, yeah. out, come out of uni having done 10 root canals, barely, right? Yeah. Barely. So how do you help these kids come through and nurture them and give them the protection they need? And a lot of that litigation came from poor communication. So chairside stems from the fact that how do we solve, how do we make it safer and easier for dentists to communicate with patients effectively so that patients can make better decisions about their health? And that's fundamentally the vision of chairside is to help patients make better decisions about their health through giving dentists the tools that they need to empower mm. their patients. Well, yeah. uh, what, what, what a lovely start point, though, that it came about as a, po- uh, as a result of seeing how powerful 
patient communication was in some rural villages with orphans in Sri Lanka. And mm. you saw the impact mm. by, you know, informing that patient base through a creative form of communication, the impact it had. And, and yeah. links brilliantly yeah. with, the, with your spoken word, doesn't it? Because obviously you, that's something that you've got in that creative part of your brain. Yeah. That you use that to turn that into <laughs> the song for brushing your teeth and then have gone on to mm. sort of like... Yeah, capitalize on it, maximize it, whatever, utilize it. Yeah, I mean, uh, no, thank you. I think for me, it's a case of um, when you're, if you, if you, you know, you're always doing things that 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 fundamentally with with chair side. What we said, what Kiri and I said, was as long as the purpose is pure and then the impact is improving outcomes for patients, um, um, and we're providing solutions, we will always have a place in society right that's how i see it it's just how well how good how, the quality of the product how well we develop it the 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 execution the ability of the execution and that all comes down to the culture of the company and how strong the culture yeah. of our company is yeah. and so building culture at that point was the first thing that we wanted to do was to create the right environment um with, with a we want to build a company that lasts the test of time um, and, mm-hmm. and it's really exciting to talk to you about this because I think I might listen back to this many many years down the line because it's still the beginning of our journey. But um, I love your legacy. Th- that's yeah. I mean, we can talk about OKRs and we can talk about ways of working and sprints and agile working and all of this. But fundamentally, you got to get the culture right, right? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. Kiri and I stay, stayed from the beginning from both our journeys because his his parents are also from Sri Lanka and they've also. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, been refugees as a result. And we've, we've both come from that background. And we've also seen our uncles or parents or go and start up multiple businesses here and there because they didn't have sometimes the education. The only thing they could do was build businesses, right? Mm-hmm. So we've seen how they've done it with not much in their pocket uh, through mm-hmm. sheer discipline, determination. Um, and literally, it's either that or pick up a, a, an hourly job somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some of them did that, some of them didn't, but we, we learned from that. And so we were very lucky and we said, look, we want to build something. We've had very uh, a great upbringing, so many advantages and uh, so many opportunities that we've had. Like I'm a dentist sitting here now talking to you when like we were in Sri Lanka treating those kids like they, they had nothing, but they're probably happier than a lot of the people I know. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is which is really weird. Um, so like that's why going back to that question of success, does actually success make you happy? I'm not sure. It depends on your definition of success. Mm. It's an interesting one, isn't it, really, that sort of those journeys. I mean, it's uh, we, we've done a fair few of these now, Lovin, and so, uh, what's interesting is there's, there's, there's a common theme of sort of a, um, an occurrence, something that yeah. has sort of almost galvanised or informed and laid down that almost DNA for how you go forward with your mm. life. You well, know? It's interesting it's you talk about culture. I think the, the principles and the foundations that, that set you on the path to create Chairside, it's almost like the culture wasn't in doubt because it mm. was built on such a strong passion for seeing the impact of improved patient communication mm. as a result of your, your joint experience in, in Sri Lanka. You know, that is kind of just the mantra that just gets fed through everything within that business. Mm. Now, I think you're, you're spot on. I think if you get culture right at the beginning, everything else is is, is so much easier. But you, 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 you present it with two, your, 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 your spectacles are too rosy, Lovin. There must have been some bumps on the way. It must have been some hard yards in there as well where you oh, 100%. it was the right thing to do. Yeah, I mean, 
we pitched it to 25 investors in one go and not a single one invested um in on day one that was day one that was off a powerpoint presentation with no skin in the game no proof of anything we we spun up the concept and uh we had one of our uh one of the guys who came on the trip with us to sri lanka who ran a charity called tamalade he said he's an accountant he owns an accounting firm and he said all right guys let me get you in front of some investors to see what this looks like right see what like gauge the temperature and we said look mm. guys the future of healthcare is this it's visual learning 65 percent of patients have visual learners yet 100% of our consults are verbal and chair side mm. fills that void between visual understanding and because we could we're improving communication we solve all of these problems xyz you know mm. uh, patient health outcomes uh, litigation um, even like practice performance and and case acceptance better communication you're gonna you're gonna perform better uh, mm. goodwill mm. as well the whole shebang we yeah. try and solve we try and optimize communication do the best for the patient and everything else will come as a result um which when we're seeing that we're seeing 32 percent increase in case acceptance we're seeing all of that but you know it's all well and good saying it to investors or saying it and putting it out there um when you don't have any proof and then trying to uh, get them to back it so mm. We didn't have any. So Kiri and I, what we did was for two years, whether this was the right thing or the wrong thing, we basically worked full time. And every evening and weekend, we put our own earnings into uh, a pot that we used to build and develop the product, uh, all the animations, all the content. Um, the We got patents secured um, and we, we sort of did all of that. And it was it was a very costly exercise. I'm not sure if it was the right thing to do, but what we did was we we went as far as we could on a personal liability level to de-risk the company mm. to yeah. make it attractive to investors. Mm. And um, that took time, and there was a lot of sweat in it, and there were lots of money, a lot, a lot of money wasted on things that we didn't know we were doing that was right mm -hmm. wrong. A lot of a lot of agencies that we wasted a lot of cash on that might not have worked. And we yeah, but but I tell you what. We may have wasted, you know, a few thousand then, but having learned those lessons, we probably save a few ten thousands now, tens of mm -hmm. thousands now, uh, knowing that that was not the right thing to do. And we learned that from our way. We also understood each other's learning styles and working styles. Mm -hmm. You know, the the beautiful thing about Kiri is he's he complements the things I'm really bad at, right? Mm. Um, and uh, he, he, I, at the same time, I probably. Um, open his mind to like a world of opportunities that he is kind of more ready to do the di the day-to-day -day. like i'm gonna mm. i'm gonna aim today and i'm like yeah but this is the long-term vision so this is where we go and we complement each other so well but um during that time it was almost like learning on the go um so after we've proven a few concepts we got our first investment from our first angel investor and it was after that and since then actually we've not had anyone no since the third investment round we've not had anyone turn down investing in chairside up yeah. until now anyway Good. but we've had in the first three rounds we've had surplus of like 40 rejections so and that's a really um, good story to tell love because i think the, the, <laughs> the danger with life being what it is and we were talking before about kind of you know ego and social media um, we, we tend to celebrate when success comes. And it's nice, I always think, for people to hear how yeah, hard it is at the beginning. Yeah. What was it, Starbucks? Was it Starbucks 281 yeah, rejections. rejections or yeah. something before someone mm. funded Starbucks? Yeah. 
and it's and it's great to hear that that you are where you are now. But for anybody else, you know, thinking about embarking on a on a new business or a startup or whatever, you know, they need to know that it's it's absolutely doable. It's absolutely fulfilling, and it's going to push you to the limit. And all those mm. things are okay. Yeah, it's, it's right. all, all those things are okay, and, and actually and, enjoyable. Yeah, and, <laughs> and the thing is, yeah, that thing you said about you know the, the, you kind of quickly reframed the money you wasted on agencies to what you learnt from the process. And I think that's mm. what it is. Mm. You know, sure that money was spent, but it meant you kept pushing on, and now you're in a much better shape as a result of that real life experience. Because somebody with more experience could have told you mm. what it was going to be like, but yeah. that's not the reality. The reality isn't that. Isn't the reality? The reality is um, you living and breathing and going through it yourself. Mm. That's 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 what really matters. Identifying yeah. and failing fast, I think, is yeah. a really important thing to learn. Oh, that's you know, how that work, that is- So you get rid of it. It's so important to fail fast, to make mistakes, to, 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 but, but you have to learn, you have to learn and you only really learn when you do things and you make mistakes. Um, it's the same in dentistry, you know, you've got to do that composite, uh, that's slightly outside of your comfort zone in, in the growth phase where, uh, to, to understand that, you know, maybe it didn't quite work and learn from it. I learned a lot from my mistakes. Um, I've learned a lot from, um, my practicing because I've been in the same practice for 12 years. I can Mm. still look at the endos I did 12 years ago (laughs) and I can still look at the restorations I did, you know, six years ago and I can I've been able to critically assess myself from x-rays and from and there's always opportunities to learn always things to do and if you're not constantly doing that you you know you, you're not growing really are you and no that's quite an interesting if, one, if, if, you if, if, your technique journey in your 12 years yeah you know from your from what you did first time round and what you do now I bet there's probably a big difference between oh massively <laughs> <laughs> a fa- mm. That's quite a good one, really, isn't it? You, you almost always got a constant reminder of like, oh, yep, okay, <laughs> I could do better. There's constant feedback. Yeah, there's yeah, identity brilliant. is a prime example for that for constant growth. Um, mm. The 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 course uh, dental courses right now, like, I mean, how many people spend thousands of pounds on any course, and it's a no brainer, right? They'll go on it. Mm. That's why I love the motivation of dentists. Like, they're willing to just constantly excel constantly improve um constantly grow or the ones who are are the ones who will who, who will continue to 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 push the industry yeah, push right. the profession oh, forward yeah i was going to say it is a remarkable yeah, profession is, yeah. in, in in that way we, we were talking at the beginning loving about um kind of creativity and and you know you're you were drawn to the profession through through the craft and um there's obviously a, a strong and, and arguably increasing artistic element to dentistry for where mm-hmm. we are now and where it's like to be in the future um you obviously um creative in a different way as well in that you you rap and you do the spoken word and stuff was that something you uh, i'm interested as to whether has that influenced your dentistry or has your dentistry influenced that or do the two just coexist and run side by side is there like a a point where you kind of benefit in one area or the other that did i i think when i was 14 i loved i loved the whole hip-hop era i grew up in that era um and i think also a lot of my like the 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 community i was in resonated with that sort of rags to riches stories like inspired by those hip-hop stories of when you see because if you you imagine this like we're kids like of of immigrant parents like first generation and 
we're listening to hip hop stories of people from the streets with nothing, uh, mm. making something out of their lives, right? And we're yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah. wow, yeah, look, these guys mm. did it. And then you start writing your own story a little bit, mm. right, through that journey. And then you realize that actually the world's not ready, maybe for um, Love and the Rapper when he was fourteen. But mm. uh, <laughs> um, it's true, and, though, isn't it? Yeah. When you look at Snoop Dogg, gets Snoop. paid what five million for Just Eat or something. I mean, yeah, yeah something like, like that. Yeah. <laughs> But um, I loved writing. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. And actually, weirdly, at school, maybe, uh, you know, there's some kids who are, um, uh, who were looked to for their, uh, or respected for their football skills, or some kids that were respected for uh, their academia or whatnot, right? Or being great at rugby or just being good looking. I don't know. But for me, I always found that it was because when it was battle rapping other schools, I would be the guy who'd represent our school. Did you um, dress like a rapper? Or? I didn't. Well, at the time, when you're 18 or 15 or 16, you know, you try to fit in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like I did I did try. It wasn't a good look for me, I'll be honest. Um, <laughs> I think I think I'm so glad smartphones weren't around then. But um <laughs> there's no photographic evidence. Don't ask Kiri though, he's got some. But um yeah. Uh, so so rapping ra- rapping was really cool uh, for that and just just storytelling. And I think I think what why I liked it was because I without again without any ego i tend to win some of those battles and so it gave me this identity of loving Mm. oh this is your thing you're good at this you're good at battle rapping you're good at telling stories through raps loving you should do something with this if you're not you're not fulfilling your potential right and that kind of maybe haunted me it was a gift and a curse to be honest with you because it was almost like it was like like at that time afro-caribbean black rappers were not mainstream still mm, from yeah. the UK. They just, they, it wasn't a thing. And I love the yeah. fact that, that that now Stormzy is who he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you couldn't imagine that. I mean, Dizzy Rascal was the first, but he was a one-off. And for 20 years, it took all of us to grow up to be the consumer to then allow that industry to thrive, right? Mm. And now you've got loads of them. And I love that. I love that. But there was definitely not a time in society at that point where I think the the world was ready for an Asian rapper. Maybe not. Yeah, right? that's true. Isn't it? So yeah. the, playing with this passion thing and realizing that is there really an opportunity? It's really against all odds. Should I really pursue it? And also, by the way, you're a dentist. You know, you could have a very comfortable career. Let's face it. Have a proper job. Being a dentist <laughs> and enjoy that. Yeah, exactly. So um, it was a it was a conflict of this is my identity versus this is my profession. And there's only so many hours in life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And what do you want to hone your craft on? And what do you want to be great at? Mm-hmm. And that then became dentistry. Mm-hmm. And arguably, but there's, but there's nothing like a little itch is there that you can't keep, mm-hmm. you can't stop scratching with a side order of rapping. With it? a side order, that is the itch that I decided to scratch yeah. in June when I decided yeah. to do some uh, spoken word. And this was stuff I'd been writing for the past ten years. And interestingly. Mm-hmm whether it was timing or not, but society's come to a place where the stuff I rap about is actually become relevant now. Whereas when I was, yeah. when I was writing, doing the song, the spoken word stuff that I do now, I don't think would have resonated 10 years ago, if I'll be honest with you. Yeah, I think sometimes timing is right. It's interesting what you say about, um, you know, the, the very strong Afro-Caribbean heritage in, in mm-hmm. rapping and you saying, you know, the world probably wasn't ready for an Asian rapper. And it, and it mm. just saying that today just seems mad that 
you know, we live in London, so it's, it's incredibly diverse and multicultural. Mm. But it's it's funny how you sometimes just need the timing to be right for certain mm. things to land. Yeah, absolutely. And and if you if you take, for example, the singing dentist Milad, right, exceptionally yeah, yeah. talented, and he yes. actually was on in the scene when So Solid were doing their thing. He was in the scene, yeah. and he and and I think. Timing has worked really well for him now because you can clearly see he's a very talented rapper, right? Yes. And he's found his position now. But like yeah. he could have easily been that guy then if society was open to it too, right? Oh, yeah. So yeah. It, it's 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 actually just really nice to see people doing their thing, representing themselves, mm. and the passion that they've got for it. And you know, you have it from childhood; you can't let go. Mm. But but also things can change quickly. I was I was very fortunate to be at Glastonbury in 2019 when Stormzy mm -hmm. headlined. All oh, right. He he said he said he said I don't think even two years ago this could have happened. And it's it's amazing how you know as a grime artist to to headline on the pyramid stage, you know the biggest stage at Glastonbury, mm -hmm. nearly quarter of a million people there. You know, just a few years earlier, that wouldn't have even been considered no, yeah, on sure. the calendar. So things can flick. There quite often there's a tipping point, isn't there, where things just kind of turn. There, there is. Fast. And I think right now there is a tipping point in dentistry mm. post-COVID. And I think uh, dental practices are really... Uh, and patients are really interested in 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 their in yeah. their dental health, oh. whether it be cosmetics, whether it be um, orthodontics, and I think dental practices are gearing up really nicely, or at least the early adopters to that uh, to that world mm. are gearing up for it. And I, I'm excited for the industry moving forward because mm. one thing I've been very fortunate to do is study the strategy and the the almost the mechanics of how ideas spread, uh, whether it be grime and stormzy. Um, when Dizzy Rascal and Wiley were the, were, were the originals, right? And if you look at the originals and then the ones who actually commercially make it 20 years ago, uh, 20 years later, sorry. And if you look at how ideas spread, like electric cars or mm. the iPad, um, and that's the same with Chairside. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's like it will become mainstream. I have no doubt about that. It's just at that point where the early adopters are excited by it and pioneering it. Mm. And mm. there is a certain personality type that comes after that tipping point that's willing yeah. to accept the new status quo. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And the yeah. infrastructure has to be in place for it too. So we're going yeah. up for that. Yeah. But Brilliant. also hugely exciting for you. Yeah. We, we always ask our guests the same two questions at the end. But before we get to that, we've got one more question, which links back to the music. Um, you got played on... BBC Radio One. Yeah. What's the, what the, what the story around that? <laughs> um, so when I was actually doing less spoken word and more rap, it was in my fourth year of uni. Um, I met up with this producer. His name's Charles Bosco, and he um, he's incredibly talented. Uh, again, same from a similar background. Um, and I also have this friend called Arjun, who's again incredibly talented. And at that moment in time, there was something happening in the Asian music industry, right? So I would I would make English raps. Yeah, I would go to BBC One Extra and they'd say to me, it's not quite grimy enough. But then I'd go to the BBC Asian Network and they say, it's not quite bungra enough. And I was like, <laughs> oh man, like, I just want to rap, right? I just want to tell stories. But this, the music is so relevant to which radio station this plays. Yeah, yeah. So Charles Bosco is a master of mixing ethnic samples 
with Western Beats. And there was a big dubstep era at that time, right? So he spun out, so we sat down and we're like, that sample sounds amazing. Here's what dubstep sounds like. Let's mix it. And I, and I, and we wrapped over it and um, we sent it out to radio, right? And got played on BBC Asian Network Festival. And we were number one on the Asian Network charts for a month on that of that track that then crossed over to bbc radio one and so we got played on bbc radio one for about eight weeks and then three other tracks after that got played on bbc radio one for eight weeks so then this is when i'm thinking i'm in my fourth year of uni i'm graduating in year in in fifth year i'm thinking wow i'm finally on radio one is there anything you know what can come of this but you know um a lot of those songs were again, played uh, evening specialist radio stations at 7 p.m. onwards sort of thing, mm. uh, which was great, which is fine, because it was never going to hit the playlist and, you know, the, it was never going to be 10 a.m. in the morning. But it was still 7 yeah. p.m., 8 p.m., you know, those tracks were being played. And it was it was just a nice moment to, 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 to connect, I guess, with a moment uh, in, in the dubstep era mm. with my own identity of ethnic samples, working with great people like Charles and Arj, and then uh, putting my own storytelling over it. Um, but again, timing, right? Yeah, and also you timing, don't know, critical. you know, again. what what impact would that have had on you know, other young people similar to yourself that would have listened to that back in that era? It was like a lollipop moment where they thought, well, hold on a minute, I'm not, I've not heard this before. And I did that give somebody the inspiration, you know, the, the nudge they needed to go and then do their mm. thing. Um, look, there wasn't a, a roadmap for yeah. it before. So, uh, no, that's fabulous. fabulous. Spot on, I'm going to find you on Spotify. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't actually got anything on Spotify. It's like all my stuff. <laughs> well, there's an opening there then. It must be. <laughs> <laughs> So, I'll so be your manager. So, <laughs> so, 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 Lovin, we always, we always finish up in the same way. We always ask our, our guests the same two questions, and the mm. first one we have for you is: if you could be a fly on the wall in a situation, when and when and where would you be, and who would you be with? Um, really, I thought about this because it came through in the email, the question, and I was like, okay, there's actually just one moment that really that I'd really love to, to be a fly on the wall for was when, do you remember when Eric Cantona did that Kung Fu kick? Oh, oh yeah, Crystal yeah, Palace. Yeah. Crystal he Palace, jumped into right. the crowd, didn't he? Okay, yeah, yeah. okay, so here's my issue. Sir Alex Ferguson, he let go. I, I, I admire this guy so much, right? He let go of Roy Keane, his captain, right? Because he, was too, he, he thought he was too big. He was bigger than the team, right? He let go of David Beckham for a similar reason. He let go of so many people because there's no one player. And with the Cristiano situation right now, you wonder, you wonder how Alex Ferguson would deal with this. Mm-hmm. It probably wouldn't have got to this point, to be honest with you, if, if Sir Alex was there. But, hey. Um, but how does Eric Cantona throw a flying kick and still... I would just love to be there for that conversation because what my understanding is was from what Brian Robson used uh, said in one of his uh, or was it uh, yeah Brian Robson said in one of his um, his podcasts I think or in an interview was like typically when United lose he'd say to the boys he'd say all right lads just do an extra lap after the game you know the the gaff is a bit he's a bit he's a bit heated right now let's just spend some time out here before we go back into the dressing room. But when Eric Cantona did that flying kick, he was like, "All right, boys, let's get into the um, let's get into the dressing room right now. This is going to be class," because I like the the viewpoint here was that 
how he treated Eric Cantona in a very different way because of Eric Cantona's personality. He's a very passionate guy. He's he loved football, and he was actually uh, a Ronaldo of his time almost. He was like a very special player. Yeah. He couldn't give him the hair dryer treatment, right? No. So I wonder how he managed that situation. Mm. I think that was his superpower. I think his ability to manage, uh, he didn't manage a team. He managed individual people and he knew Mm. what levers to pull, buttons to push to get the best out of people. Mm. And for whatever reason, he felt that, that, you know, he managed Cantona in a a particular way. Mm. Um, but yeah, now that will be a great a great one to watch. I'm, in, I'm so intrigued to see what he said to him. How did he manage him without? Because Cantona would have been very passionate about that and very adamant oh, yeah. that that was the right thing to do. Yeah. But obviously, it's not the right thing to do, right? Mm. How do you do that without forcing the player out and disagreeing with them, but also disciplining them to know that that's not acceptable, yeah. right? That's when someone is purely fun, emotional right? about the sport. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, yeah. very good one. That, yeah, that will be great to watch on. And our, <laughs> and our follow-up question is, if you could meet somebody, mm. who would you like to meet if you were given the opportunity? Living or dead, real or fictional. <laughs> real or fiction. Interesting. Interesting. Do you know, you know, I know this is a bit off-piste, but someone I really respect is, is um, before her creativity, is J.K. Rowling. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you create that world, that Harry Potter world that has mm-hmm. become an absolute franchise and and like phenomenon, mm-hmm. from down to like the names of the characters and its relevance mm-hmm. to society, and 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 how she's drawn from history and drawn mm-hmm. from 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 historic wars in, in British history and and then like split from bad and evil from evil and good mm. and created yeah. this magical world that has captured captured kids around the world not just during that era but even still today mm. Mm. I find fascinating and for me that is almost the epitome of creativity right listen or didn't she mm. also plan them didn't she also work out there were going to be, I think it's seven books, isn't it? I don't, I don't really do Harry mm-hmm. Potter. But I think she she worked out the plan before she started writing. So she knew it was going Which, to be I successful. Which, I mean, it's, it's flipping yeah. amazing, yeah. isn't it? And to, she got rejected. To finish them at the right point yeah. for the next story to follow. Just, yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Everything was almost executed to perfection. And yeah. she was, yeah. similar story, you know, single mother, I believe, like rejected, writing in yeah. little flats, uh, writing stories in little flats, not getting a book deal, only eventually to... It's the same story, isn't it? You get rejected, you get rejected, you get rejected, and then yeah. something happens. Resilience. Yeah, yeah. Builds resilience. It doesn't doesn't surprise you, Lovin, that you went for somebody highly creative, given your own <laughs> path, the things you've done. It doesn't surprise you that you're fascinated by mm. somebody who's got, got huge creativity in their, in, in their own soul. Lovin, it's been an absolute joy. It's been such a, a, a an enjoyable and pleasant conversation. I think the stuff you're doing is great. Um, I think people will take a lot from you know the work that goes into setting up something new and I think you've got so much more to come I think there's lots of chapters of your your story yet to be written there's lots of lessons in that podcast isn't absolutely there? absolutely <laughs> well, no, I really, yeah, I really appreciate your time yeah, today Lovin, and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll be catching up soon oh, thank you guys Cheers, thank man. you so much thank you for listening to this episode of Dentology where we discuss the business of dentistry if you like what you heard please do subscribe where you found this episode that would be amazing and also follow us on Instagram 